Hello, God bless you for listening. I'm so happy. My heart is so filled with joy. Thank you for dropping by. Thank you for listening. And today I would want to share something with you. It's a topic that most people do not feel comfortable listening to. The preachers do not want to talk about it or even preach about it from the pulpit. Most preachers are scared it will drive away their members, especially the youths. But as a result of this, not feeling so comfortable talking about it, many people are fighting with this and have been fighting with it for years. Some people have gone through it and so many people will. And therefore, that's why I believe that it's time for us to stop hiding behind theology doctrines or our desire to look cool or to fit in and our self-righteous works like Adam and Eve and simply admit we did it and we are sorry. It's time for us to speak the truth, say the truth, because the truth cannot be hidden. No matter how much we try to suppress the truth just for our personal gain, the greatest truth is that the truth cannot be hidden. The truth cannot be hidden. And what I'm talking about is nothing but sexual immorality. And today I will be talking about it a bit and we'll be hammering more on masturbation and pornography. Ah, I know you're just... But... We are going to talk about it, by the way. Um, I was once caught up in the act of sexual immorality, once lived a very sexual immoral life, um, was caught up in mast- masturbation for years. What? Someone might say, <laughs> you are a pastor, but I'm sorry to bust your bubbles. I've not always been righteous. I've not always been this righteous from bed. My life only changed when I met Jesus Christ. Before I met him, my life was nothing other than total trash until I met Jesus Christ. And it's not just about my past, but it's still something that so many preachers are still fighting with and struggling with. But we feel so much bad or we feel that we are going to be condemned when we talk about it. But you guys have to cut us some slack. You have to still remember that we are humans too and we have our own struggles also. So I once lived and swam in the ocean of sexual immorality. What? Yes, I said that again. So get that look off your face. Um, I once lived that life. That's no longer who I am. Uh, We all have our past, but our past doesn't define us. And that's why we are not to judge someone. We all have a past. As a matter of fact, if you don't have one, then that means you aren't going nowhere. Moses, David, Solomon, Abraham, they all did. It's nothing to be ashamed of. We were all sinners. The thing is that we sinned differently. You once stole, I once fornicated. Mine is not bigger than yours and yours is not bigger than mine. So let's quit all this measurement of sin and everything. Because in the eyes of God, sin is sin. There is certainly nothing like a big or a small sin. You don't have to feel ashamed of your past. You don't have to feel ashamed of who you used to be. You don't have to condemn someone for their sins because God doesn't. In John chapter 8 verse 11, Jesus said to the woman caught in adultery, I do not condemn you. Jesus does not condemn us. God does not condemn us. And in Acts of the Apostles chapter 10 verse 15, Jesus said, Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. God has sanctified us. We are no longer impure, but we've been made clean by Jesus Christ. And that's the truth that everyone has to hear. And that's the truth that everyone has to embrace. We all have a past. And Jesus said to Peter in Luke 22, verse 31 to 32, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked for the permission to sift each of you like with. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith will not fail. 
And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. What Jesus was simply telling Peter was like, uh, you're going to be knocked down, but all you have to do when you are knocked down, when you rise up, you just have to help pull someone up. And that's what I'm about to do today. And that's why I just took a time to prepare this message in order to strengthen you, in order to strengthen someone that is going through what I've gone through. And I just prepared this message so that I could be of help to someone in the same way that God used another person to set me free. And there's no shame in that. That was who I was. That's not who I am today. I have been set free by Jesus Christ. And God wants to do the same in your life. He wants to set you free. Um, it's a pity that we live in a self-script world. Sex sells movies, clothes, music, books, cars. As a matter of fact, if you have any music video or any movie that is not selling and you would want it to sell, all you have to do is just throw in a couple of girls wearing pants and bra. And voila, it now becomes a hit single. It now becomes uh, one of the top rated movies, makes it into the boss office. But even though people are cool with this, that does not mean that God is cool with it. Even though it's now accepted as a way of life, things that used to be seen as wrong is now seen as good, does not mean that God is cool with it. And that's what we have to understand. And it's a pity that wherever we turn to, there is always a sexual image staring at you. But why is this so? We are still going to talk about it. I would still go down and talk about it the more. And But the first thing that we also have to understand again is that sex is God's gift to man. The Bible tells us that God is the creator of man. And if we believe that God is the creator of man, he's also the originator of sex, then that means that he alone can define the parameters or the jurisdiction for its use. And the scripture makes it clear that sex was designed to be between one man and one woman who are in a covenant marriage. And anything outside this is the abuse of God's plan. And that is what sin is. Sin is simply the abuse of God's plan. And if that is true, then that means that fornication, pornography, and homosexual acts are against the law of God because they don't meet up with that definition that it has to be between one man and one woman who are in a covenant marriage. It does not line up with that definition. And therefore, that means that fornication, pornography, homosexual acts, whatever, whatever, all of them are against the law of God. And that makes it a sin against God. In Hebrews 2 verse 16, uh, the scripture says, See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. You see, in this passage, the Bible likens sexual immorality um, to Esau. That is to help us understand that sexual sin is simply us selling out our inheritance, our rights. And if you don't understand this, you can also listen to the teaching that I posted one certain time on my SoundCloud account, one thing that the devil wants from us. It's going to be so helpful to help you understand much about what we are about to talk about, about what um, I want to lay then and for us to talk about it. And when you look at the definition of these words and you look at it from the Greek masturbation and pornography, you'll find out that it has its root word in the Greek word ponia. And ponia means to sell off. To sell off what? one sexual purity and rights. So, sexual immorality is simply us selling out our inheritance, our birthright, for a moment of pleasure. And in Galatians, Paul calls his sowing to self. But the thing is that in Galatians 6 verse 8, the same Paul tells us that whosoever sows to please the, their flesh will from their flesh reap destruction. And that is the danger with 
sexual immorality. When we live in sexual immorality, then we are selling off our inheritance. And what is this inheritance? Someone might say, ah, you've talked about inheritance, 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 inheritance. What is this inheritance? <laughs> in Galatians 5 verse 1, the Bible tells us that it is for freedom that Jesus Christ has set us free. So this inheritance is all about our freedom, the freedom that Jesus had gained for us. In 1 Peter 1 verse 18, let's talk about this inheritance briefly. 1 Peter 1 verse 18 Peter tells us that um, we were not saved with perishable things like silver and gold. It was not by silver and gold, with silver and gold, that we were redeemed from our empty way of life, which was handed down to us by our ancestors. And that is to say that uh, we were redeemed with something worth more than silver and gold. And as a matter of fact, it took a God to redeem us. And therefore, our inheritance is priceless. When we live in sexual immorality, we are like one who throws away a diamond only to pick up a stone. That is the kind of uh, image that we put up there, throwing away a diamond to pick up a stone. That is nothing but total foolishness. But that's how most of us are living. But even though that's the kind of life we've lived or still living, we still have to understand that does not define us. Um, I've heard so many times people say, ah, okay, the way out of this, because when I was in search of a way out um, of this thing, um, someone once told me that you have to, all you have to do is just accept that you're, you are a fornicator, you're a masturbator, and then ask for forgiveness. But there's nothing wrong with asking for the forgiveness. But the thing that I believe is wrong is that accepting that you're a masturbator, a fornicator, an adulterer. Because when you accept that that's who you are, that's like you locking up yourself and throwing away the key. Because at that moment, you no longer have a problem. You are now the problem. And when you are now the problem, it now becomes way more difficult to solve. But when you believe that all you have is a problem and not you, you are not the problem, then it is easy to tap into the provision that Jesus Christ has made. The provision that he has made, a way out that he has presented us with, the way out which is through his blood. And the scripture says that when we live by God's grace, all things have passed away and behold, all things have become new. Something else that Christians have to understand is that all things will never pass away. All things will never become new until you start believing in that truth. Most of us know that as the truth, but the problem is that most of us don't believe that as the truth. Unless we believe that as the truth, it would not set us free because the Bible says that the truth you know shall set you free. And in John 8 verse 36, the Bible says, So if the Son of God sets you free, you will be free indeed. We have to realize that Jesus has set us free. So our past does not define us. And that's why Jesus said to the woman, go and sin no more. So our past does not define us. Our past does not have control over our future. We have control over our lives, not our past. We are not powerless over sin. We have control over sin. And that's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 12, I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. And in Titus chapter 2, verse 12, the scripture teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live a self-controlled life, upright and godly lives in this present age. And in Romans 6, verse 12, the Bible says, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you obey its evil desires. We have the ability to choose what defines our life. Your past does not have to define your life. It's in your power to choose. And the key to victory over a sexual immoral life, over sexual immorality and 
fornication, masturbation, whatever it may be, is self-control. For you see, in 1 Corinthians 9 verse 25, oh Paul, ah, I so much love this man. Paul would always use the image of an athlete, a race. He once said that um, he has run the race. He always uses this image of an athlete or a race to always liken our walk with Christ, our goal to make heaven, our goal to live a glorious life. And in this passage, he says that everyone who enters as an athlete to contest in a race practices self-control in everything. And he said that the reason why they do it is to win a wrath or a prize uh, that with us away. But we want to win a prize that never fades away. And we have to realize that we can only be victorious over sexual immorality through self-control. But someone might ask, several times I've said, "Um, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to stand my grounds. But each time I still find myself slipping into it. We have to realize that self-control that I'm talking about does not mean that you have to do it by your own power. Self-control does not mean relying on what's power. For the scripture tells us that by the strength of a man, no man shall prevail. We can achieve total self-control by relying on the grace of God. And it is this grace of God which empowers us to live in righteousness, to walk in righteousness, to breathe in righteousness. So it is through his grace that we become the only ones that determines our reactions to things around us. Because that's what self-control is. Self-control is simply being able to determine your reactions to things around you. So when we live by the grace of God, it propels us to live a self a self-controlled life, a kind of life that says no longer becomes our reactions to a nude picture, masturbation no longer becomes our reaction to things like this, or anything sexually immoral. And also, another key to victory, to total victory, is through the sanctification of our mind. In Proverbs 23 verse 7, the scripture says, For as he thinks within him, so he is. The greatest truth that we all have to realize is that the main battleground lies in our mind and not on our sexual organs. The greatest battleground lies in our mind and not our sexual organs. Um, I once heard uh, a story about a man who once listened to a preacher who said that if you know that that which will stop you from going to heaven, cut it off. And the funny thing is that this man went home and cut off his penis thinking that his penis was the problem. But the story says that he ended up dying. Uh, what the preacher meant was simply cut off that line of thought that leads you into that sexual act. Cut it off and you will be free. Uh, the main fight is in the mind. And unless we get our minds sanctified and accept to believe God's truth about us, we can never ever be free. Freedom comes through the truth of God. And the Bible says, as a matter of fact, Jesus was speaking. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. So we can never be free unless we accept the truth. Unless we choose to believe the truth about how God sees us. And this truth is the truth that says we are not sexual addicts. We are not masturbators, fornicators. We are not adulterers. That's who we used to be. Don't get me wrong. But that is not who we are. When you accept that truth, you become free. And there is no shame in telling people like the man Jesus touched who said, I was once blind, but now I see. Many people are going through this fight. Many people are fighting this sexual immoral life. 
in silence. Many people are fighting with it. I had to fight secretly because of the fear of condemnation. But you don't have to be afraid of what people will think about it. And that's why ever since I was free, I swore that I wouldn't keep this testimony to myself. And that's why I'm sharing it with you. That God will also touch your life in the same way that he touched mine. It's who we used to be. But we can choose no longer to live that kind of life. The grace, the provision has been made there for us. And we can never be free. Again, I will repeat it. We can never be free unless we stop believing the devil that this is not who you are. And you don't have to allow the devil to label you. Soren Kigad once said, once you label me, you negate me. Don't allow the devil to label you based on your past actions or based on what you did yesterday. Very often, as the Holy Communion will be going on in church, I will notice that some people are not taking the Holy Communion and I will ask them why. They will tell me, ah, I just sinned, I just did this, I just did that. But that action of yesterday does not have to define you. The grace is there for you. You can tap into the grace and be who God wants you to be. And briefly, I want to share with you some few things I learned from living such a life, some few things that I realized and that changed my mind and changed my heart to strive to be pure and to live this kind of holy and clean life that I'm enjoying today. Each time I go through a sexual encounter, be it masturbation, be it um, fornication, I always, always felt this cage around my life. I always felt as if I'm locked up in a cage until I read the book of Hosea chapter 4 verse 11. And the day I read that passage, I couldn't stop shedding tears. And the passage says, sexual immorality, wine and fresh wine seduce the hearts of my people. To what? To slavery. No wonder I felt that way. And another feeling that I always felt after this act is that I always had a sense of rejection and defilement as if I've just been defiled. And the truth is that Mark 7, 21 to 23 says that sexual immorality is the defilement of a person. When we live a sexually immoral life, we are defiling ourselves. But the great danger about this sin and the deadliest thing about this sin is that it's not the devil that is responsible for the punishment. It is God. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17, the scripture says, If anyone destroys God's temple, our body is the God's temple, by the way. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred and you are that temple. I am that temple. When we live a sexually immoral life, we are defiling the temple of God. And you have to believe this. God is gonna fight back. And in Hebrews 10 verse 31, this is where it gets so ugly. The scripture tells us it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Why? When I sin against you, I can ask for God's forgiveness and he can set me free. But when I sin against God, who can set me free? And that is the danger of the sin. Sexual immorality is not just sinning against myself, but it's also committing sin against God because it is the defilement of God's temple. And another terrible thing I learned from this and tears could not stop rolling down my eyes is in Acts of the Apostles chapter 15 verse 29. The Bible says there that ye abstain from meat, offer to idols and from blood and from things strangled and from fornication from which if you keep yourselves, you shall do well. If you keep yourself from living a sexually immoral life, you shall do well. This sin, the sin of sexual immorality is the reason why many people are failing in life. The day I realized this, I couldn't help but cry so terribly. Another danger with 
sexual immorality is that it kills. Proverbs chapter 2 verse 16 to 19 says that it's the pathway to death. And let me read a bit Proverbs 2 16 verse 19. If you're there, you could grab your Bible and read together with me. It says that wisdom will save you from the adulterous woman, from the wayward woman with her seductive words, who has left the partner of her youth and ignored the covenant she made before God. Surely her house leads down to death and her path to the spirit of death. Verse 19 says, None who go to her return or attend the paths of life. Sexual immorality leads to death. And no wonder Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 18, Flee from sexual immorality. And in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9, he continues to hammer on the same point And he said, that do not be deceived. No sexually immoral person will inherit the kingdom of God. Sexual immorality will deny you access into the kingdom of God. It will deny you access into the presence of God. Whenever I live in sexual immorality or I commit sexual immorality, I find it difficult to pray. I find it difficult to stand before the presence of God. There are two ways to be fooled. You see, we have to understand, first of all, that Jesus said, all power in heaven had been given to me, which means that the devil has no power over us because Jesus has all the power. What the devil uses is tricks. And the devil is still using the same old tricks that he used on Adam and Eve to try to get us to sin. I talked about it in one thing that the devil wants from us. So in Kigad, I love this man. He said that there are two ways to be fooled. One is to believe what isn't true. Another is to refuse to accept what is true. And that is the same all tricks that the serpent is still using on us, trying to get us to believe what is not true and trying to make us to reject what is true. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 27, God made man in the image of God. And we didn't have to do anything to receive that. That's just who we are. But in Genesis chapter 3, verse 4 to 5, the serpent came to Eve and lied to Eve that Eve has to do this to fully be like God. And because Eve forgot who she was. She keyed into the lies of the devil and she lost everything. The devil can never hurt you or tamper with you unless he gets you to disbelieve the truth and accept his lies. And the truth is that God does not condemn us just because you sinned yesterday, just because that's the kind of life you've lived or you're still living. God does not condemn you. He has made a provision for you to live a glorious and a victorious life. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you. Go and sin no more. God has given us the grace to live above sin, above masturbation, above fornication. The grace is available to you. You can live a glorious life, the same kind of life that I'm enjoying right now. You can also have that same kind of life. Your sin doesn't have to define you. All you have to do is to choose to live by the victory that Jesus has handed over to you. To live a life of fornication is a choice. To live a life of holiness is a choice. Which one would you choose? But I would like to end this by telling you that our identity is in Christ. For who he is, we have become. Even though we lived such life, the truth is that Jesus has set us free. And it is for freedom that Jesus came to die. He came that we may be free. Free from sexual immorality, free from masturbation, free from fornication, free from adultery, free from all homosexual acts. It would cost you nothing. All it would cost you is just to say, Jesus, I will rely on your grace. I will choose to walk in self-control through 
my reliance on the grace of God and Jesus would help you. He has given you the power to live above sin. Sin has no power over you. And it would be my greatest desire for us to be able to say like Jesus said, the devil cometh, but he has nothing on me. And remember Jesus said to Cain, sin knocketh on your door. Sin will continue to knock on our door. Even though we've chosen to live such a glorious and a fulfilled life, it doesn't stop the devil from throwing such images at us. It doesn't stop him from tempting us. But we have the ability to choose or to react to the temptation of the devil. And we can react to it through the word of God by saying in the same way that Jesus said, I know who I am. It is written, God bless you. And if you don't know this, I want to remind you and I want to tell you that God wishes above every other thing that you will prosper, even as your soul prospereth. Until next time, continue to prosper, continue to be blessed in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Amen.